0: Edition of the Capiche film cast. Stephen Barry here, joined by Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. And we're here for another episode in the Captain's Log project. Feels like it's been a while. Yeah. The Bon Daft uh, podcast series has sort of taken over, but Star Trek still going. Yep. And we are here for film 10? No, 11? Yes. Point. We're talking about the reboot, right? For God's sake. Two thousand and nine
1: yeah. reboot. See, it throws it off because they were all they were all numbered up until Star Trek generations and then so that was number seven, first contacts eight, um insurrections nine, yep, nemesis ten, yep yeah, this is eleven. So we've confirmed, we've counted, we know.
0: And we had an idea of rebooting this podcast, uh, for this film, of course, but uh, due to budgeting restraints we sort of just recast ourselves again, so it's not really much of a reboot.
1: I know, I, the thing is, I mean, it's
0: it's hard to recast us as well. Well, we can get Gordon and Steve. We've already got, Steve's got the
1: same name, so that could work. Yeah, yeah, Steve and, um, yeah, Gordon Yeah, Gordon could. <laughs> I think Gordon could. I think we should have them do this podcast with no
0: knowledge of Star Trek and try and be us. huh. that so would be that an interesting. Work.
1: In fact, imagine a podcast where we all played another one of the group, what? each of us, so we just drew it out of a hat. So, like, Gordon could be you and Steve could be me and I would be Steve. Do you know what I mean? It would just... Something tells me it might not be as, as crazy and
0: amazing as you think.
1: I don't... Well, I, yeah, yeah, it probably would be absolutely terrible.
0: Right then. So, it's been a while since Nemesis. Now, Nemesis was actually a bit of a surprise for us. We went in thinking this is not going to be as good a film. And it turned out we kind of liked it. Yeah. And yeah. now... So, that was a nice sort of, like... Ending to those original films to have a nice film that we actually appreciated. Now we're getting there's three reboot films left. Um, I'm saying reboot. I know technically they're not really a reboot, but like they're they're a reboot. They well, recast.
1: They're, they're basically the it's it's sort of a sensitive way of rebooting. So what they've done is
0: it's the trouser leg of time, you know that idea. To explain this. I'm quite I've curious heard that about this
1: expression. You know, like I've never heard that.
0: Yeah, like in the first series, they're going down one trouser leg, and in this one, they're going down another.
1: Well, what is it that's going down the trouser leg? Time. Right. Okay. That could be quite disturbing. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think it is a it's a sensitive way of doing it for the fans. So in order. to that the original Star Trek universe wasn't just rebooted and th- tossed to the side because it is it is the original shared universe, really. Nothing, there was nothing else like it on screen, at least. Um, so what they've done is they've they've set, they've come up with this idea that um, there would be a change in the timeline that would allow us to see a slightly different version of the genesis of the original series characters like Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all of them. But there's also a link to the original um, universe and a member of the original cast um, through this whole idea of something coming from the future that changes the past as well. So there's a link there, a very poignant and very uh, historic link actually I would say um, in the form of Leonard Nimoy coming back to reprise his role as Spock um, after what, nearly two decades away from the role <clears throat> now the interesting thing about this is that the Leonard Nimoy Spock we see in this film is the Spock that you saw in all of the Star Trek movies before and all of the original series he's the same guy same timeline character Um, so it's quite interesting to to see that
0: yeah, uh, yeah I'm definitely interested to see that considering he, what, was it nineteen eighty one did you say was his last appearance? yes so it's quite considerable amount of time to yeah. uh, bring back the character. This is J.J. J. Abrams, isn't it? Yes. This is, he's the director. Did he... Who wrote, do you know, the, the
1: writer? I think it was Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orkey. Mm, okay. Um, who did... Uh, these were all people who worked with J.J. J. Abrams on various things like Heroes and... Uh, was it Alias that they worked on before? There was there was another show. J.J. Oh, J. was Lost. I know that. Lost. Uh, there was like a set of early... Uh, not early two thousands. Well, yeah, there was uh, sort of the first de the first ten years, the noughties as you might call them, um, Abrams and Kurtzman and Orky and all these kind of folk. They were all uh, kind of up and comers who were involved in a lot of the cool new shows that were coming out at the time, like the stuff that would they would be superseded by Breaking Bad and then Game of Thrones and things like that. Do you know what I mean? The stuff after Sopranos but before our current crop um, of stuff and. Um, they obviously, as happens with a lot of these showrunners and 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 collectives, they then graduate up on up into movies. And I think Abrams's route was through Mission Impossible.
0: Oh, that's right. I think he did the third one.
1: Yeah, and it's obviously Paramount that that are are the custodians of that franchise, and they're also um, part owners. Well, the Paramount, CBS, Viacom, and Paramount are now back together again in some form, but. Um, they obviously were in charge in some way of the Star Trek franchise as well Um, so I think Abrams took this on because he wanted to do Star Wars and he knew that if he would this was his career track basically he knew that if he could he was working his way towards Star Wars all the time I mean and he actually he wouldn't
0: have known surely what the plans were for Star Wars at that point when he did this film. The purchase for Disney's purchase of the from Lucasfilm hadn't yeah, happened yet,
1: but so, I think it was the films were on hiatus. But I suppose maybe a smart director would have known, yeah. If, uh, and especially, uh, you know, if he could make because Star Trek was never really cool in the way that Star Wars was, you know, it wasn't. There wasn't a hand solo type person. I mean, Kirk's kind of cool, but it's just not the same. Do you know what I mean? It's it not- doesn't have that mass appeal that Star uh-huh. Wars has. Yeah, so undoubtedly, I think what Abrams was thinking was, if I can, um, if I can make Star Trek cool, then I'm going to be the first person they're going to choose to do Star Wars when it's whenever it comes back. Did he do Into Darkness? Uh He was involved in it, but he didn't direct, he didn't direct it. it. I'm okay. pretty sure he did not direct it. Actually, he probably... Yeah. I think it was Orky or someone. I I wanted to look that up. But the the other guys were far more involved with that. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it was Justin Lin that did uh, Beyond. So it was quite a big change there. Um Simon Pegg, I think, he, was involved in the story. He wrote the script, didn't he? Yeah. But Simon Pegg and Abrams are quite close, which is why... uh Pegg kind of got it into Star Trek as well.
0: And he also got a cameo in The Force Awakens.
1: Yeah, but aye. So that was through... Because he was in Mission Impossible as well. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg's. Yeah. yeah, It uh, was. So there's a lot of links there. Um, I've actually uh, I got a little tiny claim to fame um, back from like 2008 or something when I was quite involved in... Uh, basically, Roberto Orki in particular in the run up to this film and into uh, later on with Into Darkness as well posted on the forums of a a website called trekmovie.com and that was the site that had all the rumours and and I was on there all the time and um, we would interact with Kurtzman and Orky whoever would come on but Orky was the one that was on there the most and um, there was one particular time where I I think I'd get punched or something on a night out and I had a black eye and I, I just posted a random message on this forum saying I uh, can't believe this happened or whatever and then Roberto Orkey sent me a picture with, uh, with holding a, a note saying uh, get well soon" or whatever with like my forum username I think it was like Franco Miranda or something <laughs> like that it was so funny it was like you know just these little connections just through having been there yeah. you know but I remember all the arguments I remember Orkey getting slated after Into Darkness on there um I remember like different camps of people. I remember the excitement in the run up to Star Trek 2009. There was a group of people who were angry that it was going to be rebooted, so to speak, and there was other people who were open to it. I was I was on the fence until I went to see the movie. You know, it was it was really an interesting time uh, to be on there. So I, I, weirdly enough, I was probably more because the, the way the internet had grown it was only around the time of this film coming out that I was actually able to get involved in that process of being able to communicate with the people who were making it.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's what's that's kind of cool about this film when it came out. And, you know, it was, yeah. uh, you know, Facebook, all the, all the social media and everything at this point it obviously exploded. So.
1: Yeah, well, Facebook was literally just about to launch. That's
0: true, actually, yeah. I was just thinking as, YouTube as, I, as I said around. that. YouTube was It was 2009, so that was when I. Everything basically the... started.
1: Yeah. But it was almost like a prototype version of what you see these days, and this is the proof in the pudding, by the way, that the the phenomenon of petulant angry fans is nothing new because that was going on in 2008 and 2009, and it was just because someone was stirring around with something they cared about. Mm. That, was, that was it. And it's always going to be the same. I mean, I've got saved things on my computer from that time from before some of the social media even existed with people that would now be called trolls and various things, but they just care. You know, they they can be nasty, they can be horrible, but people, it's just a, I think it's just, it's not a new phenomenon to me. I remember seeing it at the time. It doesn't excuse it though when it gets quite toxic. Oh yeah, but it, it doesn't
0: no, but I mean it's... There it, might be a sentiment behind it that they care, yes, yeah. but when you're hurting somebody else's feelings, these are artists. These are people who poured pour their crazy. Exactly,
1: them. well, I agree with you on that. But like, there's no agenda behind it. Like, they just. Oh, the only agenda behind their toxicity is the fact that they have a maybe unhealthy care for something that is just a program, basically.
0: Right. Well, well, come off that because this film isn't one. that I don't think got that. That that's the next film. We'll, we'll go into that in more detail. Yeah, it? you had to be there for this one. Yeah. But um, but this film this film was obviously a commercial success I imagine yeah very much so and it also was critically seen as quite a, a positive step for the franchise you know giving it a bit more of an action flavour um I, that's kind of the impression I get from it
1: yeah but the, you know it it's a funny one because it's not it's not. In its own way, as action and fast and whatever, it's quite a thoughtful film in some ways. You know, it's 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 an interesting story.
0: Let's it's quickly fast, Let's but... quickly, because we're 11 minutes in now, we haven't actually, let's do the synopsis and then we'll
1: watch the film. What What's the basic plot of this film then? Okay. The Set up. So it's the year 2233, which is the year of Captain Kirk's birth, and his parents are on a a Federation starship, and all of a sudden, this gigantic monstrosity comes flying out through a vortex in space, and all sorts of things happen that changes the course of Kirk, Spock, all of their lives. Right. So basically, that's what that's how it starts. And later on, older Spock emerges from the future as well, and then uh, gets involved with the Enterprise crew to help them to stop this force from the future that is the, the basically like the villain of the film has a personal mad crazy sort of vendetta against the Federation um, because of events in the future that are very personal to him so in a sense a lot of the plot a lot of the synopsis would really be this is the coming of age story of the young Enterprise crew uh, all the rest of it is a tool for that That's why I don't think there's much, there's not too much fluff there. Okay. It's exactly what needs to be there for us to see them have a challenge and overcome it. Excellent. Okay. That was a really like, that was good. I feel like that was a good, but also shit blurb. That's
0: fine. I get what you're saying. Yeah, but you know me. Nobody else does. (laughs) Alright then, Uh, we're ready to go. We're going to go into watch the film and come back and do a spoilerific review and we'll uh, be back shortly.
1: Get ready for that nice little bit of music. Here we go. 3, 2, 1, boom.
0: I'm not going to play it now. (sighs) Come on, man. And we are back having watched Star Trek 2009. Fran, what was your thoughts having watched it now 10 years later from your first viewing?
1: Uh, well, I was pleasantly uh, surprised uh, by it, I suppose, in the sense that um, after, with, the, with the surprises we've had lately with Nemesis being better than I thought, I was worried that this was going to be worse than I thought, if you know what I mean. Like, maybe, maybe it was going to go the opposite way. Um, but Thankfully, I enjoyed it. I think that the gap of ten years has allowed me to be able to criticise it in ways that maybe I hadn't thought of before, because obviously certain styles have changed since since that time. Um, but generally, it's quite a special film for me. I, I think it's the best. Well, I, we'll see how we feel at the end. But I, I, I do think it, it's it's a special film. It's the it, if this was the only reboot film there was, it would have been okay we wouldn't have missed out too much.
0: And I keep calling it a reboot, and we watched this, and our discussion kind of, was that it's not really even a reboot. It's a reboot, per se, uh, cast-wise. Yeah. But story-wise, it's actually a continuity. uh uh-huh. um, but But, you know, we covered that at the beginning. It's going down a different trou- trouser leg of time. Yeah. Um, an interesting concept, and actually that's one of the things I really do like about this film. It's like a really creative, smart way to... to you know so called reboot yeah um the the franchise with a fresh kind of a fresh attitude um a much younger more vibrant cast even down to the the sort of the style of the of the film that was more actiony and things like that a bit more humor like yeah. real kind of um time slapstick humor it's one of the things i would say sometimes actually didn't work but yeah overall it was a fun action film more in the vein of a Star Wars kinda of classic film than your earlier classic Star Trek films, which is clearly intention. Yeah. With that JJ J. Abrams was going for with the new sort of mass appeal
1: audience in mind. That being said, it still had some of the ponderous moments that Star Trek the Star Trek franchise has been known for, like Sarek and Spock talking after his mother dies in the transporter room. There's a slow discussion there about what it means to be human, half human, half falcon, and emotions and things like that. So there were little moments of quiet, contemplative, you know, dialogue or whatever. You know, there was stuff like think,
0: that. Yeah, I think certainly. I mean, this film overall was a shift, but there it didn't it doesn't mean to say that there, there wasn't those moments. And I think yeah. a good film will know how to slow the pace down. It's all about um, finding the right time and moments and things like that, but the The general shift it was it was a difference. I would say, yeah. O- okay, look, where do you want to start then with this? W- what's the the first thing to tackle? Um, want to talk tackle the cast? Maybe that's, I suppose, I mean, yeah, recasting of certain of the characters. What, yeah. Was that something you want
1: to? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think it's generally accepted that they did a good job. They did the baby the best they could. I mean, you the thing with recasting people for for reboots or or updates or whatever is that you don't want to just cast a bunch of lookalikes because you've got to think about their acting ability as well. Um, so there's a mixture there. I mean, obviously Zachary Quinto looks very much like Nimoy.
0: They did well with him. Yeah,
1: and and he's, he, and he's that pairs up with his acting ability in terms of being able to play that character. Uh, Chris Pine, we talked a bit about that while we were watching the film, that Funnily enough, Chris Hemsworth plays Kirk's dad in the opening and we both kind of felt that maybe he would have been better to play Kirk than Chris Pine.
0: I certainly think he would have been at least equal. I I really um, appreciate Chris Hemsworth. I think he's got a good diverse kind of portfolio. But that's happened after this film a lot. Yeah, So you've seen that he can do serious... And machismo, kind of, mm-hmm. and then comedic. He's done a lot of comedic recently, so he, he kind of has a broad spectrum. But it wasn't known probably at that time. Yeah, when he was cast in a smaller supporting role here.
1: Yeah, um, going back to Chris Pine is again. I think he did a, a pretty good job. I mean, there was times that he almost channeled Shatner slightly, like the younger Shatner from the like the the brash Kirk, um, but obviously. Dialed it up a bit because he's ten years younger than Kirk, any Kirk we ever saw. So, and and also, but we'll, we'll get to this in a minute. The idea of the timeline being changed that's had an effect as well. I think for the rest of the cast, um, I mean Spock, uh, with Zachary Quinto, is this pretty much the same character we know because his life wasn't changed. Um, uh, Bones, Carol Urban, did a very good job at being Bones, although I would say maybe. It verges on the caricature at times, and I think that's a that's, mm, that's yeah maybe, but only ever so slightly. Do you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like when you get someone doing an impression of Bones, and it's like, "Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a space shuttle conductor or whatever." Like that sort of, you know, it's easy to to peg Bones as just the he's dead, Jim. Damn it, Jim, guy. When Bones is quite capable of being quiet and contemplative as well. He's not always cranky. All the time, do you know what I mean? As you'll remember from the original series films, yeah, yeah. so you know you see a bit more of that in the later films, which is good. The the next two, um, the the rest of them. I mean, you've got um, is it Zoe Saldana plays Zahura? Mm-hmm. Uh, fine, I mean, yeah, I thought yeah, she was good. Yeah, <clears throat> I
0: thought she was well cast. I, I could see the likeness as well. Yeah, um, I, I appreci- appreciate her performance on Chris Pine. I didn't see the Shatner as much in his performance. Mm-hmm. Now I get there is a ten year difference from the point that we are watching him to what we get to know as Shatner. So ten years, people change. You know that that's that you can you can explain that. Yeah, um, I get what they're trying to do with Chris Pine uh, casting. He's meant to be good looking action hero, um, a bit of a wild card, um, mm-hmm. and it, that explores the sort of what. Where Shatner is at this point, he's kind of a loose cannon, kind of directionless, fighting and bars and things, and you know it, it. And I think Pine carried the film as a as a as a lead well enough. Yeah, I just I'm personally not. I I was kind of not unsure if I was really on board with him. I didn't really relate to the character. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's maybe what it is. But sometimes I felt that way about Shatner. So then. Maybe it's not an issue.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I think it depends on your life. I mean, the idea of being someone who is—I mean, because because of the changes in the timeline, Kirk is now someone who is causing trouble in bars and getting is committing crimes, even though he's a very intelligent guy. Um, and
0: I think there was something almost smarmy about him that I yeah. can't quite support you know because you do know that he's meant to be this intellectual guy but he only like shows it at the last moment yeah and otherwise he's just an arrogant asshole yeah (laughs) and at times i find it kind of unlikable um and because that was a majority of the the good first half of the film that's his personality i would say almost the entire film it sort of grates a bit for me it's just a it's just a personality thing um and it's how they've decided to portray the character it's not even on pine as much as that's a characterization however pine is also incredibly a good looking guy but good looking as well he doesn't also look like shatner yeah i couldn't see any resemblance at all yeah and that takes away from a wee bit
1: yeah i mean it's just one of those things in it where what do you what do you do when you're recasting you make it they made obviously they made a decision and the actors got to try and do the best they can in the, in those circumstances because it's not just Chris Pine's decision; it's the director and oh, exactly. and, and all these other you know and the other actors in chemistry. I, yeah. I don't
0: actually put it on Pine as much. Yeah, I think I've seen him in other things and I've seen the visa. You know, he's got some diversity as well. He has some range. I just don't know if maybe he was actually the best candidate for this role.
1: I don't. I, I've never been entirely sure about that either, to be honest. But aside from that,
0: you know. The rest were fine. I loved Zachary Quintal probably as the standout one. I think we, he yeah. was able to do character as well as the impersonation and had the look, all of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that is what makes him up there. Um,
1: I do think cast-wise, I'd say even though he did a good job, I think Simon Pegg was a mistake because he's too recognisable. Yes, I think he, you know he's he's not Scotty. It's Simon Pegg. It's it's Simon Pegg with a Scottish accent. Yeah, you know so.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, he's doing a Scottish accent, and he actually did a very good Scottish accent.
1: Yeah, like you actually, probably better than James Doohan did. More realistic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, there was points where I was looking out for where's he gonna he's gonna that's going to sound dodgy here but I was listening to it going, that's actually
1: quite good. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a weird one because I'm always against casting super recognisable people in, in roles at certain, like if it's not an original thing, if that makes sense. I don't I, I understand completely. If it's a yeah. franchise thing then, unless it's something like Batman or whatever, like where it's it, if it's an ensemble cast Do you know what I mean? Or if it's someone who's
0: playing against type, i.e. Heath Ledger being one of the weirdest casting decisions at the time, because nobody had seen him doing anything that you could imagine was like the Joker, Uh and then of course... Brought out one of the best iterations of that character.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, I'm trying to think of other examples of it, but I know there's been other examples. Of I think someone... the Star
0: Wars films sometimes. Yeah, the news uh-huh. films probably they they've cast. I mean, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson was cast in in things like that, and he was he was actually fine in it in the prequels, but he was a big name at the time. Yeah, I'm sure he was in the late '90s, and even Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson. Uh, um, you know, these were these were people that were already established big actors.
1: And uh, they they're not like they weren't plucked out of you know obscurity like Harrison Ford. Ah, uh, exactly. They almost take you out of the film when you recognise them. It's like, oh, that's someone from our universe. There, you know, it's uh, or or whatever. It's like it's there. Simon with Simon Pegg for for instance, as soon as he appears on the screen, I think of Spaced and Shaun of the Dead and all of that. Um, that's what I think of, and I think you know. I don't know. We we discussed the fact that he was friends with Abrams and he's a well-known name and all that kind of thing. And I think Scotty's used a wee bit as comedic relief in the film. Oh, it's and, pure comedic? I mean, Scotty actually in the original series uh, TV show was... He did play that role sometimes, so you can see what they were going for, but... Was he always comedic?
0: This was like a pure comedy no, with Simon I, Pegg. It felt like the tone of the film changed as soon as he entered the film.
1: Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Um... And then, if we, uh, you've got um, Anton Yelchin, obviously playing Chekhov, Yeah, which is yeah. quite a tragic one, given the fact that he's he's yeah. obviously he's died at a very young age. But he did a, you know, in this film, you can't say too much or too little about him. He's played the role fine. His accent was good. Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah I had no issue with Anton Yelchin. I Ke- he was, he
1: was, yeah, yeah, a believable Chekhov. Mm-hmm. And who is it that's playing Sulu again? I didn't actually. That's terrible. I didn't catch um, the actor's name. It is. He was in that um. Uh, what's that film? Something in Kumar or whatever it is. Oh yes, he was in that. Yeah, uh, Harold and Kumar. Uh huh. Um, but I, can't, I haven't seen that either, so I can't recall his name. I just, I, I can't recall it right now. But I'm always gonna, we're always gonna forget something because we're not like, you know, eidetic memory people here. But
0: no, we didn't do a research.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I should know this, but um. You know, he 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 probably got more to do than Sulu ever got to do in any of the films. Actually, you're right. There was that cool section. Where he was uh, fighting, yeah.
0: Yeah, that amazing section on the... What was it?
1: What was it they were on? The sort of spaceship thing? Or it was the, like a drill. Drill. Yeah. Amazing. So so the, we could segue, I suppose, into some of the... Uh, yeah, well, before we move, actually, onto sections. Yeah. Talk
0: about Nero... Nero, then? Oh, yeah. Uh, Eric the final, Banner. The final casting, um, yeah. essentially. Eric Banner. Yeah. You you really liked Eric Banner in this, didn't
1: you? Yeah. Um, acting wise, I think he played it perfectly. I think he was. And I think the direction was perfect as well. And the characterization that they chose for this villain was perfect. So I'll try and paint a picture to, to as to why I feel this way. So Nero is the captain of a Romulan mining ship. From the 24th century. Nobody special. He just goes out on a ship with his crew and they mine rocks and asteroids and then they go back to Romulus or wherever and they make their money. So, so he's not a military man. He's not a... He's just a normal guy. He's got a wife and kid at home on Romulus.
0: In a comedy, he would be on the Red Dwarf and yeah. be one of the lower ranking officers, say, like a rumor, maybe?
1: But Nero... <laughs> no, that would be IL. Is is the, the other guy? Nero would be uh, Captain Hollister,
0: right? Okay. Basically,
1: yeah. that would be that would be his role, slightly sort of. I just think I like the idea of this villain that's actually
0: <laughs> the equivalent of Rimmer. Yeah, I think that
1: idea is quite funny. Evil Rimmer. Yeah, yeah, he's gone mad. Um, but uh, yeah, so. He's no, you know, he's nobody special. But the background, there was background material to the film. There was comics that came out that explained a bit about what happened. So a a, a spatial disaster happens, an explosion, and like a supernova happens that th- is threatening to destroy um, planets in the galaxy. And Romulus is one of those planets, and one of the planets that's in the 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 way of this shockwave. And the Romulans, who were historically enemies of the Federation, actually ask for help from the Federation. Um, through Ambassador Spock, who is Spock, who is still alive in this in this future time, which is the time of Picard and the Next Generation and all that kind of thing, sometime after the film Star Trek right, Nemesis, maybe about eight years after that. Um, so Spock goes back to Vulcan and the Vulcan Science Academy build this ship uh, and and outfit it with this special form of matter that can create black holes. And the whole idea is that they will pilot this ship and fire the matter into the explosion and suck away the explosion before it destroys Romulus. Now, somewhere along the way something happens and in the comics it's explained but Spock is, I'm not going to go into massive detail but Spock doesn't manage to get there in time and Romulus is destroyed which kills Nero's wife and kid and all 6 billion of his of his own people Right? quite devastating so because he's on a mining ship far away, he's survived this thing so um, he basically his mission then is to try and track down Spock and to try to um, take revenge, because I think Nero, in a typical Romulan way, is suspicious, paranoid, and Romulans tend to have that trait. They'll think the worst in people. If something fails, it's because there was, you know, the the Federation wanted Romulus to be destroyed secretly, or something like that. So that, coupled with him being driven mad by... Obviously, losing isn't... I mean, if imagine we were the one of a handful of humans left. You know, you'd just, your brain would just shatter from the loss. Um, a battle ensues between him and Spock. The red matter gets ignited somehow and both ships are pulled into a black hole that sends them back in time. So that's how Nero and Spock end up back in time and how the timeline changes. But the characterization of Nero from that point onwards is of someone who is just... All he wants to do is to get Spock and make him feel the same way he feels for revenge. He wants Spock to watch his planet Vulcan being destroyed by a black hole or or whatever, and, and and suffer the way that he suffered, the way that Nero suffered. And it goes beyond that, though. As the Enterprise crew and Kirk and Spock and all of them, older Spock, have come together to take Nero out, he, go, he, he, he becomes hellbent on killing Spock as that goes on as well um destroying all of the federation planets because it will keep romulus safe and it, it, there doesn't he doesn't seem to have a plan it's just it's just a, a a guy who is not trained who doesn't have very good emotional control uh just lurching from one form of kind of therapeutic rage to the next right up to the very end when he obviously he as being the villain most villains do die or get captured or whatever, but Nero dies at the end of this film. And they kind of give him a a quiet send-off, I mean, where his ship gets sucked into a black hole, and you just get this scene of him just standing there, closing his eyes, obviously, just kind of accepting you know, accepting that fate, I suppose, or maybe being slightly relieved that it's over, you know? And that it's done, and there's something, something quite unusual about that. You know, because, in a way, as mad as Nero is, a lot of people could probably identify with being driven mad with grief, or, or you know, maybe not taking it to that level, but behaving irrationally because you're upset. You know.
0: Yeah, I think it's weird. It's almost like they do try and humanize him quite a little, don't they? But yeah, you know, he's done the worst. You know what well, he? Well, he's committed com- the ultimate the, genocide. The ultimate genocide. Um. You kind of lose somewhat a bit of sympathy for I, him. I don't think you're that. supposed to feel sympathy for him. I think
1: it's more, it's it's almost like more empathy. Even I think it's I think it's more that he's realistic rather than sympathetic. If that makes sense, he's not someone that you're going to feel sorry for because he's killed six billion people, but he's someone that you could look at and say, "Well, I mean, Hitler killed six million people because." I mean, people theorised why he hated the Jews. He hated the Jews, people say, because his mother got bad treatment from a German doc- uh, a Jewish doctor or something like that, or some Jew wronged him in the past in some small way. But things fester. Things, you know, there, people can, can be a bit mad, and there are some people out there who, in the real world, have committed genocide against entire races of people in the real world. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't I, that's. Do you know what I mean by that?
0: Yeah, but in the same sense, they're also monsters if they have. It's well, but I, I'm not you saying. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't sim- really take that away
1: or. Allow me to refer back to my own statement. Realistic, not sympathetic. Yeah. You don't feel sympathy for Hitler, but he's real. So
0: well, yeah, they certainly give him motivation for carrying uh-huh. out this horrendous deed. Yeah. Um. So exactly, exactly. Which, for any which, murderer, you need a motive, don't yeah. you? Yeah. He's not. He hasn't seemed sort of simple villain and just wants the world uh-huh. domination or anything and it's not clear, you know, his motives are clear and uh-huh. as a villain he, he mostly works. There's um, no...
1: Uh, the, yeah, and the, the funny thing is there's no, like,
0: megalomania. There's no, like... It's relatively understated in his actual s- exchanges with uh-huh. the crew and things, isn't it?
1: Oh, there, there was one interesting bit, there was a bit that I found really interesting when um in the battle to destroy Nero's ship, Kirk and Spock board the vessel, young Kirk and Spock uh, sorry, Kirk and young Spock um, and they, well Kirk ends up in a fight with Nero at one stage and Nero basically says to him, you know I know your face, because obviously Captain Kirk's a famous historical figure in the future, he says you know uh, James T. Kirk was a great man and uh, but that was another life You know, and that's, I'm going to end this now kind of thing. And that almost enters the kind of classical villain sort of thing but really he's doing it just because. He's, He's just stating a fact. He knows who he is and he's going to take pleasure in killing him. But the minute that things go wrong, he then lets Kirk go and runs off to sort something else out. So he's just all over the place, you know. But I thought that was an interesting nod to the fact that it is another life for Kirk, isn't it? He's not the great man. Yet.
0: Yeah, that's to me the the film's strength as its initial concept. It's an it's a an interesting idea, mm-hmm. the parallel universe, slightly different time continuum, um, and sort of questioning: Well, what is happening because it was destined, and what is happening because we've altered the timeline? Mm-hmm. It's just a it's, a it's an interesting idea. Um, there's a game that came out for in the Mortal Kombat series in 2011, which follows a very similar beat. Which they reboot the entire. I always remembered playing that. I thought, I always thought of this film because I thought they've clearly got the idea from it two years later. And they rebooted the entire trilogy and made a, a game based on the first three games, but the storylines would slightly change based mm-hmm. on one thing that had happened and one character knew about it. Um, so again, it's a very clever concept and I do really like that about the film. All right. Uh, we, oh, yeah. Leonard Nimoy. Oh, of course! How could we forget in the actual cast uh, discussion <laughs> Leonard? Well, I suppose he wasn't a recast. He was actually yeah. He's the one single continuity kind of link. center, isn't he? He's the link. Yeah. He's the link that and then, and it was. In my memory, you know, I don't remember him being in the film as much, but from the first time I watched it, I thought he'd maybe a couple of scenes, you know, and he was quite a, quite a bigger part in this film, it was actually yeah. quite, and I suppose you've got Leonard Nimoy, yeah, fucking use him.
1: Yeah, exactly. And have
0: him interact with all the different characters, you've got him interacting with his own younger self. Yeah, uh, which was fantastic. You got him interacting with Chris Pine as as Kirk, which was fantastic as well. Yep. You know, and, and Scotty, and his own. Did he interact with his dad? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, 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 no.
1: no he didn't. Didn't. No.
0: no. That would have been interesting as well, uh, actually. So having older version of his dad at, at probably the same age, or even in fact, he would have been old, older than his dad. That thing.
1: Yeah. Idea. Much older. Uh, I think I think it was yeah it was Scotty Kirk and his younger self, but um, I mean it's quite an emotional thing I suppose in some ways to have uh, old Spock see young Kirk and to say the line lines from Star Trek Two you know like to see if it- if Kirk remembers I think it was I have been and I will always be your friend or something like that, that was the line when he's when he was dying in the chamber you know at the end of Star Trek Two um, do you know what I mean Yeah. So there was there was these the kind of and you could tell that I mean it was quite uh, gently done I think that when young Kirk encounters old Spock you can tell that old Spock is incredibly pleased and relieved to see Kirk because from his perspective Kirk's dead Kirk's been dead for a long for a while you know and um to see his old friend again his his best friend you know um after all that time you know there's a a lot there
0: yeah this from that point the story is great and again leonard nimoy it was great just seeing him and i think he you know i i made this point when we were watching it at times it showed sort of the difference when you've got an actor like leonard nimoy in the scene and then maybe some of the younger actors you know not it just slightly showed the difference a wee bit yeah but it also helps there's Context to when you've got a character like he's playing a character you're you're really familiar with, but yeah, I really enjoyed seeing Leonard Nemo in this film, and I think it did was necessary to to anchor this film for the from the story's point of view, yeah. Kind of, and as a great essential, link. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't I, think it would have been half the film without him.
0: No, I mean, yeah, exactly. No, definitely not.
1: I mean, I I do firmly believe like a good forty fifty percent of the film's quality and appeal is from having. That's that mid section where he's he kind of holds it all together, and then he comes back at the end just to bookend it off at the end. You know the the those last little scenes that he was in as well.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, okay. What what else do you want to tackle? You want to tackle our favourite scenes then? I, I mentioned earlier the drill sequence.
1: Yes. Yeah. Aye. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and you had your you had your Northern English engineering officer there as well. Remember that that guy that's talking about wanting to kick Romulan arse and then doesn't open his chute early enough and gets sucked into the drill. Oh, it was yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I feel as if we haven't seen
0: that in Star Trek. We perhaps. haven't
1: seen many sort of English people or or whatever, like yeah, like just and sit, talking in their normal way, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, do you think that's that's uh?
1: a thing they've tried to do then? Yeah, I think so.
0: broaden the. Well,
1: they've done it with later Star Trek series as well. I think it's it's the idea that, you know, it's not just aliens in Starfleet with humans, it's all the different people on Earth. Russians, English, whatever. You know, British people, maybe English people have been slightly underrepresented in Starfleet, interestingly enough, because we've had a pretty prominent Scottish guy for years. Um, so it was kind of fun to have that in there. Um, but the drill scene was, you know... It's a lot of fun, actually, I mean, to have them flying down through the vacuum of space in spacesuits, uh, parachuting down to this, this drill to try and place charges on it, and then it, that engineer loses the charges when he gets killed, and there's that a fight with the Romulans. Uh, uh, is, jo- is it John Cho that plays... Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, plays... Uh, uh, yeah. Sulu I think I might have got it finally
0: we'll edit that in if that's
1: correct yeah. into where we yeah. we're trying to remember Yeah, what's his name John Cho yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be fun temporal it's a temporal anomaly yeah I've gone back in time to change the, the past the beauty of podcasting my friend he, uh, yeah, uh, Sulu, uh, playing Sulu you know Sulu gets to shine in the sense of being able to have a that sword fight with his fencing skills, which actually references back to an episode of the original series where Sulu was fencing. Obviously Kirk's there. It's a good moment for Kirk as well. Um that Kirk and Su- uh, Sulu falls off the side and Kirk has to jump off and try and save him and the parachutes break and you know there's all that drama of are they going to get beamed up and all this sort of thing. Yeah, so, it's a
0: tense sh- it's a tense scene that's shot really well, um I thought
1: visually it's great. It's quite Star Wars with the yes. music as well. Yeah, yeah. Although that music, because you haven't seen the, the 60s original show, that music has that has a feel of that as well. A lot of it's quite kind of flamboyant 60s sort of action. Okay, that makes sense. Although it's shot in a more modern way. I didn't actually check who does the score for this film. It's a guy called, I think it's Michael uh, Gacino or Gia. Oh, Gac- I can't remember uh, how you pronounce it. It's a comedian. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it starts with a G. It's a, it's like an Italian type name or something, but I can't. Well, I can't remember it or stuff. Right, well, I know I can see it in my mind's eye, but I I wouldn't know how to pronounce it. We got dead air, people. This is what happens when we don't do our research. We have to look in the phone. G, Jack
0: Giacchino. Uh, how do, how would you pronounce? Oh that? God, I don't Even know. Even when we've got the spelling.
1: Why don't we just accept that we don't know? Yeah. You know, we just we just we just don't know. Uh, I'm going to st- I'm going to take a stab at it. J- Jack Chino. Sounds like an alien, like a, a or a name from Oblivion or something. So a the character com- name. So the composer, yeah. He's he's good, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Although, I mean, I don't I liked his music. I just I, there were certain parts of it that I wasn't I don't know how to describe it. Like, I don't feel like he was as good as some of the composers they had in the old Star Trek films. Like, I don't feel like that whole scene of the Enterprise coming into view and the the music. Then it wasn't. It had a similar tone to like maybe Star Trek Two II and, and Three. like was it Horner, James Horner? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's no James Horner.
0: No, no. Do you know what I mean? It like, wasn't that memorable in a sense it was probably suitable for the scenes and things, but yeah, and it wasn't. It didn't blow me away. I think he did the score for Rogue One. Oh, did he? I'm sure he replaced Alexander Despla or Despla, or whatever. Oh God, did.
1: let's just stop saying these names. <laughs> Despla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He did do the score for Rogue One. Um, so I
0: actually liked the score for Rogue One. Um, I yeah, thought was pretty good. It was, you know, it's going to compare to John Hughes and stuff, but. Uh,
1: well being in mind John Williams John Hughes oh, I mean, yeah, John Hughes is director <laughs> yeah we're getting uh, yeah what a multi-talented guy that is yeah. <laughs> he's directed and scored the film
0: yeah I'll say it again he uh yeah
1: he was good yeah anyways so the score was I feel like we're losing the plot here no I no
0: know, I no know. what were we talking about music
1: yeah <laughs> music what's that uh, yeah
0: I thought the music was fine but uh, yeah didn't didn't blow me away yeah I want to touch on something though
1: I know what it's going to... I can, does it start with a letter L? Yes. Yes, it does. Cool. And so, is it something that's uh, transparent? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay, cool.
0: Uh, this Just looked,
1: like your point.
0: This was a real <laughs> bugmare of mine.
1: I know. I, I It pissed me off at the time. really ruined some of the scenes for me. Lens flares. Lens flares. Now, here's the thing, right? At the time, fans were called toxic for complaining about lens flares because lens flares were in vogue right lens flares of the future man oh don't complain about it because it's not all just cam scenes like the way it used to be in the past man you know right but see now nobody bloody likes them anymore the fashion has passed I, I
0: don't know why it was cool I, I didn't, I, that right. all passed me by I wasn't really following a lot of film criticism closely at this oh, point especially on message boards but I don't even know but it's I can't understand why that is something you would just put in every second scene
1: well here's my question right if, the, if this is supposed to be a movie that's believable, and we're watching right, and this is a real universe, why is there all these cameras floating about?
0: Yeah, with yeah. that
1: are being affected by light. Wouldn't yeah. the captain of the the blood the ship at the start be asking the crew, "Why is this movie camera floating by my head in this really peculiar way right now? Why that is, is that happening? So egregious! Where is the class? Oh. the very fact that lens flare exists suggests that there is a lens in the scene. Does that make sense? Yes. And I don't like ugh. that. I don't like that idea. And another thing that annoys me is when, like, I've seen this in other movies as well. Someone gets shot and the camera gets covered in blood. And you're like, well, yeah. unless it's like a camcorder filmed thing, like found footage, it makes no bloody sense, does it? Yeah. For what? What is happening? J G. G Abrams, can you explain that to me? Well, he didn't do that in this film,
0: though, did he? Yes. Not uh, the the blood thing? Oh, but the lens flare, the lens flare. Yeah. So who's who is that? That is that JJ himself, or is that the editor? Who who did he do that? I mean, I didn't. No,
1: JJ just, was like more flare, more flare, more flare. You could see it in the making the feeling, of the film. Like,
0: yeah, they obviously forgot to actually watch it. You know, in one continuous shot or whatever to see that when it's used, every single fucking scene,
1: it's so distracting. It's distracting, and it's also it it also ruins the movie precisely for the fact. That it means that it's fake. Yeah. Right? Uh, because f- in order for there to be lens flares in existence, there must be a camera in that scene, fictional or otherwise. Do you know what I mean? Like there is no possible way unless Do you trying, see lens flare in your eyes? Uh,
0: unless they're trying to do some sort of like, you know, comment telling that this is actually like a documentary and there's actually a hidden crew watching all of this, but it's exactly.
1: All- Filmed and what extravagantly? Let me guess that crew, the documentary crew, was so dedicated that they killed themselves on the on the original <laughs> ship by staying on it until it was destroyed. Yeah, because the lens flare was still there. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, those guys it, were. It
0: lost at least a star for me on lens flare alone. Yes, um, same here.
1: It's JJ. You better be listening to this. A star has been lost because of lens flare. Ironically enough, a bright object.
0: It's it's just so needless. It's and I've watched a few films just recently I've been rewatching the Marvel films with my girlfriend and around 2010, 2011 that's when the first Captain America film I think for, Thor wasn't so bad but Captain America, the first Avenger I thought that was bad for Lens Flare and it was really bothering me but it was, it, compared to this that was subtle as hell uh-huh. that was, oh, this was like bright, every single scene massive blue light flying at you,
1: just, uh-huh. Definition. Do you know what? I, I think somebody should try and take that out of the scenes, like and, digitally, and re-release the film. They
0: also did this other thing that a lot of films back then had. I think it's calmed down on this side of things as well. Real high contrast to like, I don't know if it's the high definition They're really trying to show up the, you know, the, the sort of, the quality of the cameras they're using and stuff. The digital um, footage, but it's so high contrast. It's it's very very stark, and I just... It's not. That wasn't as bad. as when coupled with the lens flare, it, was, it looks very dated. Actually, it's yeah, only ten years old, but it looks dated as hell because of it.
1: Do you know the funny thing is the scenes that were non lens flare and quite still looked beautiful.
0: Yeah, some of the the actual shots, I mean, the ships over the planets and the nebulas and things like that, absolutely gorgeous. And even
1: interiors. There was a couple of interiors mm. of the Romulan of the Narada, the Romulan ship. And I was while we were watching the film, I said to Steve, doesn't it look kind of, it almost looks like an 80s sci-fi film that's got that kind of vibe?
0: Kind of, but they didn't, um, the pacing of the film was so fast that you didn't have a lot of time to actually view some of these great scenes. Fine, fine for story purposes, and the film was brisk and pacey enough that that wasn't really an issue. Yeah. But they could have actually had the camera linger for a little longer if they really wanted, and it would probably have been fine on some of those real gorgeous Shots of the nebulas and things, but you yeah. know, if they're gonna throw the lens flare at you, absolutely, not. maybe it's a good thing they didn't.
1: Do you know? I'm gonna make a prediction here. I think that we will both have you seen Star Trek Beyond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll both enjoy that more having watched it in after uh, this and Into Darkness because I think the lens flare is gone, so I think it will be cool to watch, like, it will be fun for like, there'll be certain enjoyments coming out of Beyond.
0: I think the almost expectation of that films relatively low because it's it's kind of a forgotten film. It feels like there's well at least in things we talk about in the Star Trek films, you know, there's this and that. This film did this; it was awesome. This film is where it sagged a bit, and the Into Darkness is clearly one that you know we have low expectations of. Yeah, into it. Uh, certainly, you do. It's not my I, memory. My memory was not like. I I was kind of on the fence about you know I remember enjoying it as an action film but I didn't care about plot consistencies and things because you know I didn't have the the history with the series but Beyond was a a bit of a fun action film at the time.
1: Uh, Do you know what Into Darkness is right? Into Darkness is like, imagine like just because there's an alternate universe right, everything's backwards right. So like imagine you know somebody changed history and you know we get to. I don't know. We get to what uh Insurrection's what, a really exciting film. Uh, yeah, or or like Donald Trump is like is a really cool, lovely guy. Radical, like yeah, type. Like wearing like a robe and stuff, like like um uh, the good red dwarf crew. Do you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like just you know, like And the villain is, I don't know, Obama was like a monster, like a monstrous evil person, just because, history, that's what Into Darkness is like, it's that childlike, it's this idea that, oh, everything's just the, you know, it's going to happen the other way around. And to a certain extent, Into Darkness is almost plagiarism. I think it just thinks it's really clever when it's not. Well, yeah, Uh
0: 100%. Okay, Uh, let's round up this one. Um... Anything final you want to bring up before we get to the rating then?
1: Well, I think that honestly speaking if the film dropped the lens flares and um, cut or vastly reduced a couple of those slapstick humour bits.
0: Oh yeah, we haven't touched that. Yeah, well. Let's let's quickly touch on that then, the sort of tonal well, there's shift. There's
1: two major scenes. Yeah. So you picked out for me, the scene
0: when in McCoy is—it's—it's—it's uh, kind of funny, but I—I I didn't find myself laughing, so maybe not. Um, well, it's funny up to a point. Yeah, like it's—I think it's something else. Maybe in an actual American sitcom, it might have been funny, but it's in a, in a film where it didn't feel like—I don't think the humor was quite right. But anyways, it's the it's the scene when his hands—he's. Um, He's injected him, hasn't he, with uh, yeah. to get him onto the ship because Kirk has lost his license due to his antics and things like that to fly with him and McCoy being a good friend devises very quickly without really letting him in on his plan um, quite carelessly to just inject him and does it really quickly and then the sort of side effects start to show and one of them being his hands start to swell like crazy, um, really sudden. And then so Kirk's running around and talking to people with these massive, like, huge... Fat hands. Rock- yeah. <laughs> and people are asking what's going on and things. And it's it's kind of slapsticky. It just kind of, you know... It almost gets away with it, I would say. There's just a little point where I was like, this isn't quite as funny as it thinks it is, and it feels a little out of place. Yeah.
1: The other scene... Well it was where um Scotty and Kirk get beamed to the enterprise uh and Scotty ends up beamed up inside of a, like a water container and then gets sucked into some pipes and Kirk has to quickly run around to try and get him out, but it just seemed daft, and it came right after a quite poignant scene with Spock talking about you know learning how to che- like cheat. The dangerous circumstances, like from uh, it was a trick he learned from his old friend, obviously referencing old Kirk, you know these kinds of things. And then suddenly, Scotty, played by Simon Pegg, is flying around inside the tubes, you know, mean of the pipes or whatever. And it just it goes on, and Kirk's running around, and Scotty's blah blah blah. Although I did comment that the very end bit where Spock calls up the security screen and says. What's, what's happening down there? And then you just see Kirk like lifting a soaking wet Scotty off the ground. That scene in in itself is quite funny. Maybe if you had like some tiny explanation for that, and then that scene of them just looking at the screen and just this ridiculous scene of a soaking wet Scotty, yeah, would be would have been enough. Yeah. So I think take the lines flares away, cut those down a bit, and really that 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 would have been enough tightening. Maybe I suppose at a push you could say. Let's jazz up the soundtrack a bit more. Let's get a bit more excitement. Those would be the things that I would, if I was to have a like a, a list of like dream changes to make of a cut of the film. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the contrast as well, as you mentioned, like the, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean it's obviously not. I don't know if it bothered you too much, but I've noticed that around that era of films, there was a real high contrast, but yeah. It felt like it was the, the filmmakers try to show off, look how good the this the picture looks and stuff, and it, and it was the, the film was a, a bright color palette, and that's also you know, uh-huh. part of it. So visually, there there was moments where it looked gorgeous, and then the lens flare just carried it into this other realm of that's too much, way too much. Okay, I think we've kind of covered the majority of the film, mostly what we want to say about it. Yep. So we're gonna give our rating for this film, Fran. You can go first. Well I think I'm gonna to have to give it a four. Are you surprised at that? Did you think this even watching at the time you might have given it a five, but it's maybe on reflection because of maybe my issues with it or is, No, is that...
1: actually I feel like I already was annoyed by things like the lens flares. Do you know what I mean? Like I I always hated the lens flares. I was with the fans that hated them at the time. Some of the other criticisms are more are things I've either noticed or we've noticed in conjunction or you have yourself. So those are all combined. Um but they're not enough to knock another whole star off of it. Like I feel like um those can be those would be like five percent of the star. Like ninety five percent of that star is the is that lens flare, which pisses me off so much. Do you know what I mean? This could very easily have been a five star film. It could have been but for a couple of small changes. The the lens layer Mostly it's... in the editing. Yeah.
0: If you think about it. My issues are a little with casting, but um you know, with Simon Pegg and Chris Pine a little, but you know, the mainly the editing for me was where yeah. it kinda went uh, went down. Um I'm struggling. I mean I it's definitely not a five and I think it's really harsh to give it a free.
1: Because think about Into Darkness and then Beyond. Like, I, f- I feel like I already know what Beyond will be. I feel like Beyond, be- I can almost predict that Into Darkness is going to be a two and Beyond is going to be a three.
0: Possibly. And um,
1: this four is where this one sits for yeah, me. Like, it's got yeah. to be better than Beyond. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's twice as good as Into Darkness. At least Into Darkness is not terrible enough to be a one star film. No, no, I remember
0: actually at the time enjoying it. I mean, in my head back in the day when I was reviewing them quickly, I think I gave it a three or a four. So, but that's, that is, I'm, I'm coming at it from a completely different viewpoint now. Yeah. And I'm probably, oh, well, I'm not going to predict what I would, I'll enjoy or not. You know, maybe I'll actually like it. Maybe it's a five star film in my eyes. But, you know, realistically it's not. Okay. I think it's a four for me. A very low four. It's a forced four. Yeah. To me it's It is kinda it, for me as well. It's uh it could have been a high three. When I think of the ones that I've given four. I
1: mean I want to give it something like three point eight. Yeah. Like if if we were I think maybe we should after we'll keep the Star Trek one as just straight up stars, but like we did the point fives for bond, but I really feel like it's got to be a point that we've got to do like a point two, point four, point six, point eight. Like um, like we split it in uh, by fifths mm-hmm. for these stars five stars split by five because we've got to be able to factor in that do you know what I mean like five stars is just not enough and even five in it like with halves the
0: thing I'll just quickly talk on this because we don't want this to go on too long the five star rating seems really skewed that it's when you give a five star film that almost says the film is perfect No, absolutely not a five star film if you split that into you know over a hundred percent that could be anything from 80% to 100 Yes. So to me, there's degrees of low five-star films that are excellent, perfected on mostly what they tried to do. There was still something that didn't sit right, but you enjoyed it so much. Yeah. You have to then take into like all these different technicalities of things, you know, editing and things like that. But sometimes your overall enjoyment of a film can override where you even know it's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and likewise,
1: well, I suppose it was technically a four star film would be 80%, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. I, know I, I was, but, I, I felt that as I was saying
0: that. I thought, I think I've got the maths right. You know, 81%. But uh, you're right that the fifth star could be anywhere from 81 to. Yes. And 100, yeah. Going that down all the way then. So, your free star film, it sounds like that scale of films, you know, give a film 50% or even. I
1: mean, that's why I loved sport. N64 magazine scoring style because it was, they'd have like 92, 96. Yeah, it really
0: broke it down. But then the only problem with this granular star um, score system is then you start comparing, oh, hang on, that got 41, but you gave that 43. That is crazy. I suppose that's when it starts getting too much. People really look into the scores. Whereas when you summarise as a four and a five, well, it's
1: yeah. It's, it,
0: to me, that it's dangerous when you start getting into really granular detail.
1: But what was interesting with the magazines was, um, uh, I got to see that from the inside, which was interesting.
0: Yeah, they, they had that really old-fashioned game sort of uh, mentality they, of breaking it down, and then you could, you'd have to. Really but, score it based on what you've said, and and sometimes a human, ver- your own opinion, really can.
1: But the thing was, swayed they, by other things. Well, they didn't. In theory, that's what was happening, but they they just referred back to a spreadsheet. They'd look back and look and say, "Well, I feel like it's forty, whatever." But let me just check the forties, and they'd see and they'd say, "Well, it's a wee bit below that." One, and it's, and they they would, they would know where to slot it. Like so, they'd always check. So they kind of managed to avoid that. Yeah. Apart from reviews where they made mistakes, like they gave games too much just because they were too excited about it at the time or whatever, but that's a different issue. But I just feel I, there's a lot a lot of movie critics use the five-star system.
0: I think it's still the best. There's no one perfect system, of course, but to me it's still the best. Maybe it's enough for us to say. It's enough because this, the whole point of what we're doing here is we're talking, so you know our opinion on it. But then we have to summarise with a score. You're a four, and I'm either a low four. I'm just going to give it a four, or it's going to be a a high three. It's it's anywhere in there. And yes, that makes a a bit of a difference. But
1: I suppose a four is anywhere from 60 to 80.
0: And I think when I think about that, that's a four then. It's a four. It's
1: not... Maybe it's something like 75% or 70% Mm -hmm. or something.
0: Yeah. To me, it's it's a solid action film. And, you know, a, a great concept. A couple of fantastic scenes. Having Leonard Nimoy in there as well. Elevated it insurmountably. And yeah, that to me is what's getting
1: the uh-huh. four stars. So it, it's almost like it's never going to be in a list of the best films ever made, but it's certainly a solid movie to Yeah. If you want to have a fun time.
0: And that is that's what it is to me. I don't think this film is particularly innovative in, in any way other than its central It's not seat. a Star Trek two. No. Okay, that is us. Four stars for Star Trek two thousand and nine. Night. We are now going to have only two more films left and then a ranking episode.
1: Yeah, we're getting there after how many months now? Nine months? Yep, that's crazy. Nine months we've been doing this. Nine months and it's been ten, no, eleven films. Yeah. So we've done not too bad. Yeah. Okay, so Into Darkness, obviously a five star film. Yep, and it is literally Into Darkness. God. This is not going to be fun. I'm going to have another migraine. I'm going to be on the floor.
0: See, maybe you're set your expectations so low that you're going to be surprised by it.
1: No, God, no. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay.
0: Until that time.
1: Yeah. uh, Bye, everyone. Live long and prosper. That's very good.